today, one of my best friends, a, uh, a guy I've worked with for well over 20 years, Brian Lovett. Brian, welcome back to Deer Talk Now. Thanks, Dan. Great to be back. It's been a while. So, you know, um, when we originally started doing this show, it was a show then. That was before they even called it a podcast. Brian was co-host um, for years and years. Uh, Brad was on there, and Brad would be staring, like, aimlessly at the floor. Oh, yeah, I agree totally. And he'd, like, look up every now and then to say something. <laughs> uh, if you remember, if you can go back to the archives, Brian was there through it all. Brian, um, what's going on? Well, you know, ever like everyone else around here, we're just kind of waiting for spring, uh, kind of hoping turkey season hurries up and gets here, trying to avoid being washed away in all this rain. Um, but it's coming. You know, I was uh, out and about last week and saw a bunch of turkeys uh, around down in southwestern Wisconsin, bunch of strutters. Uh, I'm just wondering how they're all going to disappear and go quiet before the season starts here in a few weeks. Yeah. <laughs> That was my imitation yep. of the turkey strutting. <laughs> you you actually hunted already though, uh, in another in some other states, right? Yep. Yeah, I was down in uh, Mississippi for their first oh, weekend, and I'd actually never hunted Mississippi before. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. But I've hunted, you know, like you hunted Alabama a bunch, and you know, back in the day when we do the mossy hunts, we'd fly into Mississippi and then drive over to Alabama a lot of times and hunt over there. But this was actually in northern Mississippi. And man, bird numbers were really good. It was, it was excellent. There were a lot of turkeys around and it was pretty cold, you know, for the South that time of year, like uh, both mornings were in the twenties that we hunted and then it got, got pretty windy. Um, but man, one day we had a lot of, I don't know how many encounters came close, how many times And the next day we kind of, our roost hunt kind of blew up. So we went to another pretty little spot and just set up and gobbler came in quietly after about 15 minutes and ended up killing it. So Kapow. it was great hunting. So if you guys don't know, if you're too young, um, half of my producers already walked away. Uh, so this is, uh, this is uh, Brian, this is bingo for you. You and I started working together in 94, yep. right? 94, yep. Crosby Publications. Uh, Brian was with Turkey and Turkey Hunting all those years. 20, how many years? 20? Yeah, I think I started doing, I started with uh, Outdoor Journal in 94 and then picked up Turkey the next year when Jerry Blair retired. And then did it for, I think, eight years and then did a couple other titles in the interim. Jim Schlender did Turkey and then went back to Turkey in 2008, I think, and did it till uh, almost till I think till I left in 2014. So. 2014. So yeah. if you don't know, Brian, one of the I'm not just saying this because he's my friend, one of the best turkey hunters in America. He'll never tell you that. Um, and like me being a geek with deer, counting how many deer I've killed over the years, you've killed hundreds of turkeys. Uh, over the years in I don't know how many different states, but just to give the little uh, recap, Brian was with Turkey and Turkey Hunting, Wisconsin Outdoor Journal, Bass Pro Outdoor World. Um, he did uh, Krause Outdoor Books, Gun Digest, Real Tree, uh, Real Tree Deer Hunting, Real Tree Bucks, Bulls and Bears, Real Tree Turkey Hunting. Still yeah. works with Real Tree, the Matthews Magazine. I, I could go on and on and on. Original co-host of this show. Um, I know that you've hunted turkeys everywhere brian but do you have that recalled to memory like how many different states yeah i've actually hunted hunted them in 22 states and mexico uh killed birds in 18 states in mexico so the i did not get a bird in virginia west virginia new york or south carolina so but uh yeah so i've been able to 
been great. Been able to see a lot of places I probably would never have uh, been able to see without being involved in turkey hunting. So, so Brad Rux and I were talking about that this morning. Um, one of the stories he wanted me to share, uh, Susie Mellum says hi, by the way, too. We were, she actually gave me some ammo. I was saying, give me some ammo on Brian that we can talk <laughs> about on air that's PG. But Brad remembers, I'm going to let you tell the story. Apple Cheek Dan O, Apple Cheek Beavis, that's what we call Brian. Um, yep. This would have been, I don't know, 1995? Was it uh, the... When you went, <laughs> oh yeah, you went to Alabama. Was it Alabama? And I went to Alabama. We both got invited yep. on industry hunts. Yep, ninety six. Yep, never forget. Yeah. <laughs> so tell the story. I won't tell it. So it's like it was like a tale of two hunts. You know, I mean, I'm doing turkey, and there were two invites at the time. One was to White Oak Plantation, which you know back in the day was like the destination for southern turkey hunting. I don't know how many writers went through there, how many media. Uh, events were held there how many people got their first turkey there you know and it was just not like that great people fantastic accommodations i mean just a, a first class trip all the way and the other was with eddie salter and eddie you know of course was champion turkey caller uh still had his own brand of calls at that time and so our boss at the time debbie she said well i, th I think i'd like you to go with eddie and on that trip and then you uh, dan or someone else can go to white oak i'm like okay that sounds good you know so uh you went to White Oak. I went with Eddie and it, uh, you know, it, it, it poured, poured rain the whole time. Um, I think the second day I, I messed around and missed a Turkey, you know, and just ended up being kind of a trip over your own feet, kind of, you know, had kind of sketchy accommodations. Oh, come on. Sketchy accommodations <laughs> was basically a rundown trailer uh, filled with mud wasps. Uh, filled with mud wasps, yeah, and it uh, it had leaked, you know, so I didn't realize like half the, there was actually like wet carpet in there on one side of the bed and mud wasps everywhere. I think one day we got our rental car stuck and ran out of food. I mean, we were literally like eating white bread and bacon sandwiches for supper, you know, and and meanwhile, across the state, here's Dan, never turkey hunted before, goes to White Oak and he was like, oh, leaning back, enjoying a mint julep and, you know, eating fried quail wings and 35-year-old Tess Jolly is one of my guides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and of course, you know, it goes out. I think it was pouring rain that day. What you do? Were you hunting with Brian Ross? Brian Ross, you, yeah. And we, I'll finish it from there. Brian Ross. So I had no freaking idea what I was doing. <laughs> and I had one of these. That's back when we wore watches, and I had like one of those Casio watches, and it would beep on the hour. It go dee dee on the hour. And he looked at me. And he goes, he goes, son, we're gonna mess up a turkey if you keep that. And I took the watch off and I shoved it in my pack. And we're, we went and we we uh, hid underneath a big tower blind. That's right. And yeah. he, I fell asleep, and he nudges me, and here comes some turkeys. I didn't know, you know, anything. So he goes, you know, the first one's a gobbler. So I shoot it, and I run out there. We run, we run out there. And um, I look down on it, and Brian just kind of looks at me, and he goes, he goes, this thing's got five beards. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, oh, is that good or something? There's <laughs> <laughs> so a five bearded gobbler with like inch and a quarter spurs. Yeah, yeah like like forty seven inches of total beard length. Wasn't you actually it remember like it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just a gorilla, once in a lifetime turkey. You know, yeah. It was just you know, and of course we get back and I I think I, think I heard about it. I called in the office and heard about it. You know, so of course I'm like, you know, all <laughs> just like, oh, I can't believe it. You know. <laughs> 
that that was one of my favorite <laughs> memories because it needled you and then the yeah. other one was um when i shot that fall turkey i think it was in 98 oh yeah um, which was were you born in 98 you were born in 99 mac was born in 98 so okay. mac our other tv producer was ian was not even a twinkle yet that fall i went out and shot a these turkeys kept coming out and eating grasshoppers in this field where I was hunting uh, just west of Wapaka. And uh, I said, well, I got turkey tags. So I went back the next day with my shotgun. I shoot this turkey. It's got like inch and seven-eighths spurs. And I just cut the legs off. And I come in work the next day and I throw them on my desk. And our boss at the time is like, huh, you know, huh. And he doesn't even look at it. And Brian's like, what the hell, you know? I'm like, oh, I don't know, is, it, is that going? <laughs> Are those fake? I'm like, oh my lord! Brian's yeah. just looking at him like I, like I, I. He was Gollum, and I brought him the ring. You know, it was like, Gollum, <laughs> Gollum, yeah. <laughs> oh crap! So, um, I, I do remember the the Alabama. It, it was just like it was one thing after another. One thing, Brad also asked me to ask you was, weren't you or somebody? like stung by a scorpion or something on a hunt oh score i don't you like got in a bed or was that not i got stung by, a, stung by a mud wasp but in the trailer that time um uh, i got well brad and I, i'll never forget at the nwtf convention the one year we walked out of our hotel room and right away a bird pooped on my head you know <laughs> must have saw that big bald target up there and just uh ten ringed me right on the top of my head um, and then once in Oklahoma a few years ago, I got actually jumped by a bobcat turkey hunting. I don't think I remember that one. Yeah, that's maybe I didn't tell you that one, but that's I was uh, that uh, on oh, Western Oklahoma, and it was an afternoon. I was kind of trying to circle around on these turkeys. Long story, and they're you know kind of set up and was just kind of waiting for them to make their move to where they might go to roost that evening, and. Uh, just sitting there kind of yelping, looking around. And I remember I, I called once, set my call down, I kind of turned my head a little bit. And then immediately it felt like someone grabbed the back of my head and was just shoving my head down into my chest as hard as it could. And at first I'm like, okay, this is someone in camp playing a bad joke on me or, or what's going on, you know? And I, after about two or three times like that, I must have reared my head back up like that just in time to look and see the bobcat just tearing out of there. Holy so this bob, bobcat must have got up in the tree and literally jumped on top of my head when I yelped and thought I was a turkey. And so immediately I thought my head's just going to be cut to ribbons, you know. And But all I had was literally, I had a bunch of bobcat fur on my hat and one tiny scratch was it. Holy but God, just, I've never heard that story. Oh my yeah, gosh. Yeah. yeah, so of course, you know, I'm all paranoid. It's like, oh man, I'm going to have to get rabies shots and all this stuff, but... Uh, they said, you know, it didn't bite me, so I didn't have to get rabies shots. But but I, I was done hunting for that day. I'm like, nope, that's enough. I'm not pushing my luck anymore. What's next, a mountain lion? You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm going back to the lodge. <laughs> wow. You know, and that's one thing about Brian is this guy, I don't know how you do it, but so we have six periods here in Wisconsin, and if you play your cards right, which Brian has done, you get tags for just about every period, or you can buy multiple tags for, like, the later seasons. And for 25 30 plus years how have you and not only that you've gone to other states and hunted you've driven to missouri and iowa and all over the place how do you possibly 
muster that energy to wake up every single day and go turkey hunting for two months? I don't know. It used to be a lot easier. I'll tell you that. I mean, you know, it was when you're 35, you didn't think about it. You just got up and did it, you know, and we'd, you'd hunt before work, you know, till eight o'clock, whatever, going to work and work all day and then drive home, you know, it's like, oh, it's okay. You know, it's just, I'm tired, but, and nowadays it's like, oh my God, <laughs> but I don't know. It just, you figure you have a few weeks to do it. You just try to make the most of it, you know, obviously go to bed early, take a cat nap here and there when you can. Um, but, you know, I just, it'd be smart just to take some days off, but when you take a day off, you just feel like, man, I should be out there. What am I missing out on? You know, I mean, uh, you know how the feeling, it just almost becomes obsessive that you have to get out there. I mean, even if you don't come close to working a turkey that day, it's just good to get out there and kind of participate in it to me. So you were lucky as was I, I, I'm not to the extent that you were, I, I did get to experience some of it, but I attribute all my turkey hunting knowledge today to those guys that we were so fortunate to work with. Um, Eddie Salter, Don Ship, Chris Parrish. I mean, you talk about a who's who of uh, people in the turkey hunting. I hate calling it is the industry, you know, call makers, whatever. What are, I know that's what got both of us on that fast start to learn how to hunt turkeys, but what were, what are some of the takeaways that um even today that like if you're you're teaching i know i know you have um nephews and younger people that you mentor what are some of the things that you say i wish somebody would have taught me this when i first started well it, you know so much of it you can you know reading a book reading a magazine see on videos so much of it you have to experience by being out there and i guess like you said we were very lucky i mean uh, i got to hunt with people who were far better turkey hunter than I was, you know, especially at the time. And just to be able to watch them in the woods and see what they did, I think you, you pick, you know, they'd tell you stuff, but you'd pick up on so much too. You know, I mean, just, I remember watching, you know, Mark Drury or Steve Stoltz run a call and just try to emulate that when I would run a call. I mean, seeing how they moved through the woods, how they listened, where they set up, you know, I mean, Ship uh, was great. He was the guy, I remember he'd, he'd sit there and just kind of move through the woods and call and he called a lot, you know, but but then he'd kind of pick a spot and he'd say, we need to be right here, you know, and set up. And he just had this uncanny knack for setting up in the right spot where when that turkey came in, it was just in perfect range right there, you know, and just picking up stuff like that. So, I mean, nowadays when you take someone, uh, you know, you can, you, you'll, you try to tell them a bunch of stuff before the hunt, you know, and they get it. But until you get out in the woods with them, you'll maybe notice what they're doing and try to, you know, tell them how to, how to sit on the tree, for example, you know, if, you, if you're sitting here and you think a bird's coming this way, you know, you don't want to sit facing directly toward it. You want to be able to cover your bases. So kind of more off your left shoulder, if you're right-handed, that way you can swing your gun this way and that way, because, you know, if that turkey comes to the right and you're like this, you're in big trouble because you have to move your gun all the way to the right, which doesn't always work out very well. But, I mean, just, just little stuff like that, that you've picked up uh, through the years, if you can try to impart to them, you know, and maybe it's just, one little nugget per hunt or something like that. I mean, it was how to run a call or how to control your volume calling or, or how to, you know, just slip up to a terrain rise and kind of glass before you expose yourself and walk on top for ridge or get out in the open, just little stuff like that, uh, that you can, all the stuff you've picked up through osmosis almost over the years. If you can teach that to them, I think those lessons are the biggest ones. I agree with you hundred percent there. The um, other thing I think I'll attribute it to Jim Cassida because he wrote about it a lot, but 
he always said you got to be working on the turkey's time and not your time um basically have to be patient and you know me i have zero patience for anything but um that's one thing that uh, in the turkey woods i will be patient and wait for that turkey to circle around silently or or maybe come in on his own time mm-hmm. yep that's a great lesson yeah uh dr jim wrote about that john trout wrote about that a lot i mean yeah. turkeys have the only thing a turkey knows about time is you know it's time to fly down time to fly up or maybe it's getting hot out i mean that's that's his only concept of time. He does. He's in no hurry to do anything, uh, and he's he'll do it on his own terms. And and I, th- I think we, you know, like, it's like when you go and set up. You're like, okay, I'm going to sit here for an hour and call, and you call for 20 minutes. Like, all right, nothing's answering. I'm really bored. I'm starting to fidget. You know, it's got to be something better going on somewhere else. You know, I mean, a lot of times you'd probably be better off just sitting there and yelping for a little bit and kind of listening and see if you see what happens. But you know, I'm the same way. I, I try to force myself to be patient, you know, and um doesn't always work out. I mean, sometimes you have to be impatient, you know, like the turkey gets hung up and you need to move or or you hear a bird gobble somewhere else and you have to decide whether to move or stay there. Sometimes it pays to be impatient, but generally speaking, yeah, patience is going to kill more turkeys than impatience. What are your thoughts, Brian, on technology? Because it has come such a long way. When we first started hunting, we were using, I mean, no offense to those guys, those feather flex decoys, we thought they were awesome. Um, but basically, it was like a piece of plastic that kind of puffed up a little bit. Now yep. you've got turkey decoys that are light, and, I mean, they look like a real turkey. Yeah. Um, stuff like that, um, you know, maybe you know, maybe morph that conversation into you know, shotguns, loads, and that kind of thing. Yeah, when you think about it, right? I mean, when we started, really, it was just kind of the beginning of the turkey shot shell revolution. So I think we were on the kind of the front, the first wave of like the Winchester Black Beauties uh, um, when they came out, you know, in uh, six shot and five shot. And it was a great cartridge, still is. Um, but yeah, feather flex decoys. I mean, think about it. There weren't any pop up blinds then or anything. So basically, we were doing, you know, t- turkey hunting in the traditional sense. You're back against the tree using a decoy, but, you know, looking back, a fairly primitive decoy, and you're limiting your shots to, I mean, 50 yards was probably the max you were going to shoot, you know, and even then sometimes it could be a stretch depending on your load and your choke. You know, fast forward now, we have these ultra-realistic decoys, um, these pop-up lines that really make you invisible, allow you to set up pretty much anywhere you want, uh, move around, you know, um, and, and the guns and loads are incredible. I mean, TSS has just made us uh, so much more effective. Tungsten is what he's talking about there, right? Tungsten shot is what you're talking about, right? Yeah. Tungsten super shot. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's yeah. Ultra dense, basically almost twice as dense as lead. And therefore you can use much smaller pellets. So you, you boost your pattern count, almost double your pattern count while maintaining your downrange energy. You know, so all these have made us so much more effective, um, uh, you know, and a lot of people take advantage of that. That's great. I, I still really enjoy kind of the old fashioned way of doing it, which is kind of being in the timber, no blind, no decoys and going out. You know, I really uh, nothing against blinds a, at all. But, you know, if I a perfect turkey season to me is I'll put my blind in the back of my truck and at the end of the season, I'll take it out without having used it. You know, if I, usually if I'm good. hunting. Yeah, if usually if I'm hunting from a blind, it's pouring rain out, you know. Um, and decoys too. I mean, sometimes you pretty much have to use decoys if you're in a like a, a big pasture situation or something like that. I mean, you unless you really have the train to your advantage, you almost have to have a visual reassurance there for your calling. But in the timber, I'll just go 
just go me and my vest and a call and hunt like that, you know, and try to use the timber and the terrain to put things in your favor. Uh, but yeah, I mean, overall, yeah, it's just technology and innovation has made it, you know, made us much more efficient overall as turkey hunters. Okay, so what about the uh, thing that I've been seeing a lot on Instagram? We're trying to get this guy on the podcast, by the way. Uh, we don't know his name. He's kind of the sock puppet of the outdoor industry. He calls himself Copper Plated Sixes on Instagram. The guy's ruthless. And uh, I feel sorry for whoever's picture this is because he keeps posting it once a week, once a week until further notice, yeah. of some guy that was got the turkey fan on his head. Uh, they call it yeah. reaping or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What about that tactic? What are your thoughts on reaping for turkeys well that's a hot button tactic for sure and uh don't wait don't hold back now brian yeah it's uh so it's actually been around in one form or another for longer than we realize i think Dwayne bland years and years ago was doing it out west you know and basically it's just taking a, a faker a real fan and giving a turkey that visual and when a gobbler's fired up and it sees another gobbler like that fan out i mean that that fan is like a a touchstone to those turkeys you know i mean every turkeys recognize it as uh, as another gobbler and a lot of times it can spark a really aggressive reaction and make a turkey run in to kind of kick butt on this uh intruding turkey you know so it got really popular i'm guessing i want to say maybe 10 years ago or so i think it was some guys out of iowa who's really started you know had youtube videos of course and everyone's yeah <laughs> sorry <laughs> I think they did. <laughs> and and baby doll. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and now it's really um a very popular tactic, especially in wide open places. But it's gathered a lot of criticism too, because I mean, of course, if you're hiding behind a real turkey fan, I mean, there's a big element of danger in that, especially if you're anywhere near other hunters, you know, or on public land. And also some people really don't like it. They think it's an unfair advantage. I mean, you're really you're really not doing anything except getting where a turkey can see you and showing him the fan. And and then, you know, if it works, trying to get ready to shoot the turkey. So um, <laughs> I don't do it. I've done it. I've done it out west a couple of times uh, with friends out there in South Dakota. And that was kind of my first exposure to it. And it really works. There's no question. In the right situation, it works. Deer Talk Now is brought to you by Game Hide. At GameHide, the philosophy is pretty simple. Design the best products with the best fabrics and features to help you be more successful in the field. While doing this, they strive to keep their pricing moderate to give you the best value in the hunting clothing industry. I wear the Elimitic line of clothing to keep those nasty ticks off of me, and I absolutely love it. Check them out at GameHide.com. Is there anything for you, uh, uh, turkey hunting-wise, that you deem unethical well you know i guess that depends on your own personal standard of ethics you know like like with reaping you know i i don't do it just because i don't like to do it i mean i I'd, i would rather kind of turkey hunt how you and i learned to turkey hunt which you know calling woodsmanship and all these skills you kind of worked through so many years to acquire you know i mean it, it you know done that way turkey hunting requires a lot of different skill sets you know and that's what's enjoyable about it to me plus the calling i really enjoy uh you know so i i really don't participate in fanning uh now if someone wants to that's up to them you know i'm just because i don't do it doesn't mean they can't do it i, I figure as long as you're legal and safe and it meets your own personal code of ethics you know have at it i'm not going to tell you how to hunt 
and just like you don't tell me how to hunt. I mean, well, so I'll tell you how to hunt. How to... <laughs> well, I'll tell you how to hunt, Junior. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it... I'm going to interrupt Brian a lot. We've yeah. got a little bit to go. I keep interrupting him, but but I know that's your take. Your take is basically. If it's legal and you want to do it, have at it. Basically, is what yeah, is yeah, what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't really enjoy that myself, so I just don't do it, you know. But if someone else wants to do it, you know, go some for other it. tool bag wants to, you know, go right ahead. Uh, that's that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hope hope you're happy with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope you're happy with that. That's fine. For you. <laughs> so it's okay for you. Yeah. Not my cup of tea. <laughs> no, that's uh, and that, that is uh, that's my views on it too. You know that we're peas in a pod that way. Um, to me. If it's legal, I knock yourself out. Mm-hmm. Uh, hunting out of a blind, hunting, um, hunting with decoys. Is it still illegal in Alabama to hunt? Over well, there? no, they made it legal, and now they've cut it back. Uh, the last couple of years, I believe, and I'm I'm going to get this wrong, but I think it's you can't use decoys. It's like the first week or two of the season now, something like that. In they Alabama. moved their season date back like a lot of states are doing now and made decoys, prohibited decoys for, uh, don't quote me on this, but a week or two, I think. The early part of the season, I believe. Um, so. We could talk about turkeys, the whole program. We won't. But um, the other thing, well, well is, is baiting legal anywhere for turkeys? Uh, Texas, uh, I think it's, I think it's still legal in Kansas. Um trying to think where else there are some other states that have uh i think like florida i think you have to be a certain distance from a feeder and i forget whether it's 75 or 100 yards Uh, oklahoma i think might be the same or at least it was they've kind of tweaked their regulations too um so yeah but texas and kansas are the two states that jump to my mind as far as the big ones turkeys yeah and then what about um uh, like, uh, well, I, we, we know our views of this. Um, Jake's are basically legal game, no matter where you hunt, right? Uh, yeah. I, Mississippi has a no Jake's rule. It's got a, a, your bird has to have a, a beard of a certain length and they're basically doing that to try to protect Jake's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So where I'm going with all of this is we have, Modern guns, modern blinds. You can bait some places. Uh, you basically can kill jakes. Are is the turkey population in peril? Are we are we um have we come to a point where we've become so efficient at it that we're seeing declines across the country? Well, that's the million dollar question. <clears throat> You're seeing declines in uh, some parts of the country, notably the southeast and the east, I guess. Um, and of course, you know us being the barstool biologists we are, everyone has a culprit in mind. Um, that piece, some people have blamed, you know, reaping or TSS or what have you. The I mean, DNR dropping ba- baby rattlesnakes from the airplanes. Oh, uh, you can't ignore Well, they that. do it. I see it. <laughs> That's, I've they seen do them it. do it. Yeah. Yeah, well, sorry. Go ahead. Right after they, right after they took all those walleyes from up north and shipped them down to Illinois, right so, <laughs> to Chicago. Yeah. 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 Sold them in pickle barrels down there. So. <laughs> I saw it. Pickled walleyes. It was five for a buck. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, sorry, go ahead. So these state, you know, and that's uh, our rock farmer voice, by the way. We patented that. Oh yes, we've uh, we've we've worked on that for many years. I'm sorry, Brian. Go ahead. (laughs) So, so a lot of the southeastern states now. I mean, 
you know, the number one thing you can point to with turkeys is, of course, production. You know, if if you're not making baby turkeys, because turkeys get eaten by everything, they die of natural causes. You have to replace, you know, generationally keep replacing turkeys to keep that population at a good level. Um, and, you know, nesting turkeys face a ton of challenges. You know, everything's trying to eat their nests. Everything's trying to eat the hen on the nest. And unless you're averaging about, I think, 2.5 pults per hen, uh is about the benchmark to maintaining a steady turkey population and a lot of states aren't doing that anymore missouri has some great long-term data uh you know missouri once they made the 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 pinnacle of eastern turkey hunting for so many years but for i think it's maybe 20 years now their poult production has averaged about two pults per hen so they've been slowly having declining production that's had a, a long-term effect on their turkey populations and that you know, you could have a bad spring with with bad weather, big rainstorms, whatnot, cold spring that, that hurts nesting success. A lot of it boils down to habitat, you know. I mean, uh, we have still have a lot of turkey habitat, but a lot of it is much more fragmented nowadays. So, I mean, that, you know, anyone will tell you that kind of gives predators an advantage if they have just blocks of habitat where a hen turkey has to nest instead of vast swaths of habitat where a hen turkey has to nest. So predators kind of have an advantage. Predator populations are, you know, turkeys have always had predators, but now populations are booming. And with that advantage in the habitat being fragmented, I think they having a big effect. And new research has kind of suggested that maybe a lot of turkey seasons have opened a little bit too early and speculating that hunters are maybe killing a lot of the, you know, dominant birds that would do a lot of the breeding with hens early in the season. And then leaving, you know, subordinate or supposedly less fit males to take on the rest of the breeding, which might affect the long-term success. So a lot of these states have moved dates back um, to try to let turkeys, you know, ideally those, you know, dominant breeding males do their thing with the hens uh, just to kind of ensure that enough breeding will take place, um, you know, and I think it remains to be seen whether that has had an effect or not we won't know for a few years you know i uh you know just talking with people in the south this year some some states saw some good success reproductive success last year some states are just kind of you know holding the line and and not really their turkeys aren't doing well um you know and one thing we need to look at too i mean you know, you and I kind of came in on the boom of turkey hunting when a lot of these populations after restorations just, I mean, hit hit these highs that were so incredible, so great, you know, and they kind of came down from that a little bit, which, as I understand it from biologists, is very typical. You know, the birds kind of reach an artificial high, and then the population kind of uh, comes down and plateaus or stabilizes at, at the carrying capacity of the land, you know. So, I think long-term, we probably have to realize that those numbers are probably never going to be what they were in the boom years of the late 90s, early 2000s, you know. They're still very good across the country. They're really, you know, even Missouri, you know, I still hunt there every year, and it's not what it was 20 years ago, but it's still very good turkey hunting. There's still a lot of turkeys. It's never going to be what it was in 1998 when you and I were first going down there. But, you know, long-term, I think they're looking to try to figure out those answers, whether it's, you know, habitat, uh, killing off those dominant males too early, other factors or a, a big combination thereof. So, I mean, and we probably won't know for a few years. That's some great information, Brian. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> the other thing, 
uh, you were asking me what the hell I was doing being a farmer. I'm trying to remember. That's another inside joke. Um, uh, is it is disease? Does disease have anything to do with it? It could, I suppose, locally. You know, I everyone I've talked to said it will. It can affect local populations. You know, whether it's blackhead disease or I forget the name of this most recent disease that they were talking about. Oh, it had uh, some name that was like this long. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Wisconsin yeah. DNR had a nice uh, three paragraph story on that in their last magazine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I still managed to bury their lead. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah. I, so I think yeah, locally they can. I mean, it's uh, you know, if, if blackhead became prevalent in an area of a national forest, perhaps or something like that, I could see definitely where it affected. What localized. about like avian flu? Is that affecting them? I haven't heard anything about that. I, okay. I think it's it's pretty prevalent. That's when, what if, they want you. They don't want you to. That's <laughs> good because that's, they don't want you. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's why they introduced it, to get rid of the turkeys. That's why? The deer are next. That's the fishers. What, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, you know, waterfowl, you can see why why they get it because when they're migrating, especially if they're congregated in such tight bunches, you know, it's just much easier for them to pick up a transmissible disease like that. Turkeys, I think, are more naturally spread out. Not that they couldn't get it, but... Do you remember... Okay, so Brian and I, we started off... It, it was a, it was corporate but small, and then we got bought by a bigger... Mm-hmm. That Our outdoors division, deer and deer hunting, turkey and turkey, and all that stuff was 5% of the portfolio of this corporation that we are part of that went defunct and then <clears throat> Brad and Steve and I, and we, we rescued it out of that. But um, do you remember when we were in those corporate meetings, like in New York and invariably you'd have some guy or some woman um, in one of these meetings, like, you know, they're trying to fit in my brother-in-law. I think that, I think this is a Jim Schlender story was in the <laughs> airport at O'Hare and he saw a copy of Turkey and Turkey Hunting on their newsstand. Yeah, we're publishers. That's what... <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, this could be a good strategy. If we got more magazines on newsstand, we'd probably sell more magazines. You know, that's... I was on my deck drinking coffee and there was a turkey out there. Yeah. I mean, it was like an yeah. alien or something that they were talking like, yeah, that's what we do. But we yeah. were the yeah. wood tick <laughs> rednecks you know, from Iola, who didn't know anything. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that was that was uh, that, that was like the greatest. You know, when when they'd all come from uh, Ohio and New York, especially, and they'd come in the back entrance there, where the outdoor division used to be. We had all the deer heads and turkey fans up on the wall. You know, they'd come in. You could just hear them like, "Oh my God! Keep walking! Keep walking! Keep walking!" It's the, it's the blood sports division. Please don't don't look at them. Don't don't make eye contact. Yes, yeah, shoot, quiet. They make a lot of money, though. So just, <laughs> just leave them alone. Um, yeah, talk, but... talk about that, Brian. What what did we have there? Um, what, what what? How was that atmosphere? Working in that atmosphere. Um, if if people don't know, we were part of a huge hobby publisher at the time. And mm-hmm. um, how was that working environment? Did, it, you know, for you, and I know how it was for me. But how was the, those years of your working life? Well, great. You know, like you said, it was almost uh, two chapters because, you know, the first, uh, oh, eight, eight, nine years, I guess, you know, when it was still an ESOP company, you know, we, we, we felt like it was corporate, but it really wasn't. It was really like a small town atmosphere. Um, you know, you had, uh, you know, the, 
the guys in the outdoors division would hang out and intermingle with the guys in sports. I mean, they're all, you know, numismatics. I mean, it was, uh, even if we didn't realize at the time, it was kind of very, you know, fraternal atmosphere, almost like a big family. And then we got bought out, which of course was inevitable, you know, and, and it slowly started to change to becoming more corporate until it got really corporate, you know, the last few years. And, um, you know, it was, it was still good. I mean, when it was just us in the office, you know, just dealing with the day-to-day stuff about making magazines, trying to create content, you know, working on websites, it was still great. You know, it was just, it was just the oversight, uh, from, you know, New York and, and I mean, especially, you know, and it's not their fault. They just weren't familiar with the outdoor industry really. So they would try to use strategies they'd maybe used in another niche publishing, you know, realm, you know, it's like, well, we should try doing this or we, you know, we should, what was the one we tried selling webcasts for like 40 bucks or something like that. And like, I think we tried it once and sold like two of them, like, yeah, we might need to rethink this. It's really yeah. <laughs> well, you know, they, if, we, if we could sell one a day. Yeah. Right. All you guys need to do is produce one a day, you know, so in addition well, you're to, driving all 60 miles to work, yeah. ed- editing, um, magazine articles <laughs> yeah right yeah okay let's so, switch <laughs> let's switch it to deer um because we have to it is deer talk now that's right what people might not realize is you have quite a a, a long list of experience in deer and you you still work in the deer world today yeah so i was you know very lucky uh because really back in the day i mean we all had our own titles but everyone worked on deer uh it was the flagship magazine and uh you know great experiences my gosh we got to meet so many people you know talk with charlie lenny larue and and folks like that all the great contributors throughout the years um and it was a great atmosphere around it and just a great magazine and remains a great magazine um and you know just through being in the industry got to meet folks at whitetail institute and i started kind of helping out just uh doing some uh, copy editing and stuff like that about 15 years ago with them. And a couple of years ago, Bart Lansford, who also worked at Krause, retired as the editor of Whitetail News. So I got to take over that. So I still keep my foot in the Whitetail industry through Whitetail News. Um, and it's great. I really enjoy it. You know, back in the day, I was never a food plot guy. It was kind of foreign to me. But now we actually have a little place where we do a few food plots and, uh, and it's just, I honestly enjoy that stuff almost as much as I do the hunting anymore. You know, it's just kind of cool to see the entire process through the year and try to try to just make your the little bit of land you have a little bit better for deer and see how deer use it. And it's kind of, I don't know, it, it gets to be a year round thing instead of just a, you know, a nine day a year or two month out of the year hunting season kind of thing. So what are you doing for food plots now? What, what do you plant? What are some of your favorite uh, go-tos? Well, our spot is kind of, it's, it's in a valley. <clears throat> so we have one uh, big food plot, which, you, you know, old pasture ground, basically it's about three acres and we still have clover in that. And then we have a, a, a ridge and then high ground up top. Um, and last year we, there's some clearing, but not a lot. It's a lot of thick timber and a lot of invasives, you know, as there is everywhere, autumn olive, stuff like that. But last year we cleared out about three spaces and put some no plow up there. And just, you know, the, the theory being, it's like the neighbor has a, a lot of land and a lot of ag there. So a lot of the deer, of course, betting on ours and going to his to feed. So we just tried to set up these little stations where maybe they would pause, you know, for a little bit on their way from betting to go to his place. 
and man, it worked great. Uh, I mean, deer just uh, bucks included, you know, would stop there, grab a bite to eat before heading out to his big fields. And we, uh, well, had pick, had camera pictures of big bucks being there in daylight. I never saw a big buck there in daylight, but, but yeah, I was really encouraged by that. And it took maybe a day of work to do it. You know, I mean, just clear the ground, scatter the seed, pray for rain, and then just watch all the beautiful stuff come up. That so, one is it, an easy one to plant. I planted. What have you had any uh, trial and error with clover getting that to take? Uh, not so much getting the take, but just the maintenance of it, you know, a spring planting is so tough because you have to have to spray because man, especially down there, this, the grasses will take over that plot. That giant foxtail takes over that plot, like nothing else. And then all of a sudden, all the beautiful stuff we have coming up is drowned up. It just, it's basically a big weed field, you know, thistles and foxtail and the clover is still there, but it's basically been out competed by these weeds and grasses. I mean, you have to probably think about mowing and spraying at least twice in the season before fall to try to maintain that clover and keep it in good shape. Now this year, we had some clover last year. So this year we overseeded, kind of frost seeded, and we're going to see how that works. But but we need to get on the stick about making sure we spray it and keep those grasses out of there because that'll just Do you spray you know, that then when that uh when those weeds are just coming up high? You spray it? Uh yeah. So if you spray it and I'm gonna forget the exact um <clears throat> the perfect timing. Uh, I should know this. I just read an article about it. <laughs> but there, there's an ideal time that you want to spray. You don't want to let the grasses get too established. Obviously you want to catch them when they're young. And uh, so I'm forgetting the exact height. It was just in the white tail news. Uh, Dr. Johnson wrote about it, but catch them basically when they're young, spray them. And then as they grow back again, there's often it's wise to do a subsequent spraying later in the season. So, but it's, it's tough. It's maintenance, but that's part of it. You know, I mean, you can't, it's, not a garden or a crop that you can just kind of throw in the ground and hope it comes up and not have to worry about maintaining it at some point, you know? So. Well, that's interesting. Cause I, that's my next, uh, as you know, I have a small property now and uh, I have clover on my, um, uh, I have clover on the, it basically it's a logging road and I just did that for, well, you know, clover grows in shade and then mm -hmm. I've been using the antler King uh, clover it comes in really nice. But in some of those open areas, I haven't really done too much with clover over my, I, I haven't planted it because I haven't any land to do it. I've been, most of my stuff has been um, just brassicas and that stuff comes in great, but my God, they eat, they eat that stuff off so quickly. I mean, I've, I've already pushed my planting dates always now back into August. Um, just yeah. so that there's something left during bow season because our bow season comes in so early in September. Um, yeah. But the, the clover I haven't, so I'll have to maybe pick your brain a little bit more on that. Um, cause I know we both hunted down there on the Scots and those clover fields is like, like, ah, you know, I mean, it's just beautiful clover plots. I'm like, dang, I don't know how long, how, how you guys get this, but it's pretty awesome stuff. It, yeah, it, it is. It's, I mean, there's, looks like a, just a carpet of clover, like the Emerald city, you know, just perfect. You know, it's like, oh, oh, I see a strand of grass over there. I've got to better watch that. Up, up, no. up. Yeah. But <laughs> Yeah, those brassicas, man, they'll they'll eat the tops off of those right away when they come up. It's crazy. You know, everyone wants to plant them for late season stuff, you know, and they say, oh, after the frost, they'll really get popular. But deer are in them right away. They'll I just... wish you would have them in the background. I don't think you do. You've killed some monster bucks down there, haven't you? Uh, I killed some okay bucks, oh, yeah. come on. Don't be shy. I've seen that. <laughs> no, I've killed some okay bucks. We have, uh, I'm trying to think. 
now the our our place we've only had for four years and i haven't shot a buck on it yet you know i mean obviously you're you know you see what you have on camera and you want to be kind of picky you know which completely goes against my nature of my younger self <laughs> goes against you know, my okay. current self but go ahead yeah <laughs> yeah oh, antlers. okay boom thank you yeah thank you <laughs> no i'm talking to alabama you shot uh, you shot yeah. a couple monsters i mean five six seven year old bucks down there yeah we shot uh some real nice representative bucks in alabama um georgia a couple times i hunted there got uh one one deer especially i think was it, it scored i think in the mid 130s but the they aged it at like seven and a half i think that was you know one of those huge bases right yeah yeah i mean the rack went almost straight up yep. it had no spread whatsoever but it was a really cool deer it was all beat up on his neck and everything and uh yeah so that was cool i mean and just you know hunting down there is such a great experience because it's it's just different than we hunt up here a lot you know up here there's so much timber obviously and down there they have these big beautiful green fields and shooting houses and and of course you can go down there in you know january when it's you know bitterly cold up here it's like it was just a great experience i loved it have you you taken a bow hunting again i have yeah yep after how many years you know i kind of still I'm shooting a big that golden eagle uh, yeah <laughs> evolution craig needs that back by the way yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I did actually. Uh, you know, we got our place and I'm like, well, shoot. I mean, I might as well take bow hunting back up again. You know, I mean, before it was always, it was a time thing because, you know, duck hunting and bow hunting kind of coincide. And I'm a big duck hunter. And Huge I, duck hunter. Forgot about that. Oh my God. He's more yeah. eaten up with duck hunting than he is turkey hunting, if you can believe that. Yeah. yeah I'm trying to kill every last duck on the planet, I guess. But, yeah. but well, you, you know, you we do shoot a, divers though. So, I mean, you got to. Well, you know, again, there's no, there's no quality duck management where i'm at <laughs> yeah. yeah take what you can i picked it up about uh i think i've done it about three seasons now again so i got uh for bow hunting yeah yeah uh, bart our friend had a uh, matthews he uh wanted to sell so i picked that up and started shooting again and uh i'd forgotten how much i just enjoyed shooting the bow i really enjoy that you know it's really kind of a neat just almost therapeutic just to go out and shoot you know dozen arrows you know every other day or so and uh so yeah we've uh we're still trying to kind of figure our place out you know i keep keep telling people it's like yeah i wish you'd come down there. you can kind of show me how to kill some of these bucks that are running all over that we have on camera but you won't have me just, down he won't because I mean, he knows i'll kill them all so I mean. like, right, that's right <laughs> <laughs> this episode is also brought to you by mossberg mossberg has been supplying american hunters with quality firearms for over 100 years over the years, they've upheld their commitment to innovation by creating a handful of firearms that have shaped the way we hunt today. For more information, visit Mossberg.com. Well, uh, Susie wanted to, uh, me to ask you, she will not appear on film here. She wanted me to ask you, uh, she, she took a couple bites out of her bratwurst and she said it, she didn't think it was done and if, if you wanted it. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's fine. I mean, come on. It, it, they didn't boil those before they put them on the grill. I mean, you remember that uh, story? Oh yeah, yeah, at the car show. Yeah, <laughs> See, she's like Brian mm. ate it, and he got deathly sick. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's so many stories we could tell. These guys are looking at me kind of weird. Um, <laughs> so uh, I was going to go through this. So Mac was born in '98. That would have been about the time uh, <clears throat> you were probably hunting with um, somebody down at White Oak. I'm imagine. Yep. Yep. Uh, well, that'd have been, 
uh yeah i'm 98 i went down there in early april and shot a turkey with bo Pittman, their head guide bo Pittman, yep. Yeah. 1999 mm-hmm. that's when ian was born uh, i think you and i were bemoaning the fact that ray rhodes was the uh was the coach yeah for, yeah for the hundred years were over we were in deep mourning and denial and i think we went down to ray eyes in missouri there and oh yes yeah that's 99 i will tell yeah. this story I will t- th- that was the that was the infamous uh, porta potty year, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. So Ian, you're gonna like this. It was 1999. What year? What month, Brian? Like April? April. Yeah, mid-April. Yep. Oh, I'm gonna bear it all here. I'm bearing my soul on Deer Talk now. So we're sitting there. It was this old schoolhouse. There had to be like 15 of us there, and it was a mixed group. There was a bunch of old turkey hunter guys and some very young turkey hunting gals. I'm not gonna pull punches. They're quite attractive. And um, so we're in this camp. Everybody's off t- hunting. And I come in after a bout of eating cold cut sandwiches that were left on the counter for who knows how long. I have to I, I have to use the porta potty. I mean, like now. So I get in there, you know, just enjoying the morning. And also like three pickup trucks pull up in park like three feet from the porta potty. What the hell do you do? So I'm like stuck in there. So I'm like, well, I think I have to wait it out. So all of a sudden everybody goes in the house. Okay, here's my chance. Oh, no, the door opens. Everybody sits down on the porch. <laughs> oh, my God, I think someone's in there. <laughs> um, yeah, I was I was just checking to see if it was okay in here. There's uh... <laughs> Sweat beating off my forehead. I might not want to go in there for a while. Yeah. <laughs> I want to drive to the other camp, uh, you know, possibly for... Ian was born. In 1989, when David was born, um, Brian and I were both at UW Oshkosh, I believe. Yep. Yep. I graduated in 89. And yeah. we were playing catch with a Nerf football. We didn't even know each other at the time. That's right. Yep. It was a chance meeting at, at uh, by the Archie Bunker houses there by the river. So that's, yeah. that's how long we've known each other. Uh, we could go on with stories that are going to bore people because we're like talking in code. But um, let me ask you one last question about Dear Brian. Um, over all these years, over 30 years working in this industry, what are some of the, or I'd say, who are some of the people who taught you the most about deer hunting that, that resonates today and probably makes you a better hunter? Oh, well, Charlie, for sure. You know, I mean, just because he was, uh, you know, had the biology and behavior end of it down and was uh, a great hunter as well. And plus he was just, uh, he was a very patient, natural teacher. I thought, you know, he'd always take time. Uh, it, it really, it seems like so many of us there learned what we know, knew about photography at the time from Charlie, you know, Charlie because Alzheimer's, he'd, he's talking yeah, about, obviously. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So Charlie was, would, uh, uh, teach you a lot and, and, you know, and he, he was never, one to brag or uh I, I guess be over the top about it. he'd just you know just kind of make suggestions or say you know, like you know you know this and that and really kind of instruct you in a real light-handed way i guess um oh gosh there were so many other folks there i mean uh gosh I remember, you know greg miller wrote for us a lot back in the day yes. and uh greg had some really good stuff about especially northwoods hunting you know which was, uh, I'd, I'd done it a little bit during gun season. And it was just like a, a puzzle to me, how you figured out all that country and where deer would move and, and how you could, you know, 
hunt funnels and rub lines and things like that. And Greg had a really good way of presenting that information in kind of straightforward fashion. Um, so many other writers too. I mean, you could, yeah, man, it would take an hour to list them all, but so many, uh, so many, yeah. so many great writers and some people who are no longer with us. You mentioned John Trout, the, the best blood trailer I have ever met. Um, John was so unassuming, so like humble, but if you put him on a blood trail, I swear to God, it was like you were, I've never hunted Africa, but I can only imagine that's what those trackers are like. That's how yeah. John, John was. He's like, oh, there's a little wrinkle in the leaves. I'm like, huh? I'm like, okay, there's a little broken twig, and then up oh, there's a drop of blood. I'm like, dang. You're talking about yeah. callers. I, I I won't go off on a tangent, but Shane Simpson, oh, my God, that guy's a good caller. We had Shane him on the podcast, and I don't know if you guys follow him, but find his page and follow him. That dude knows how to hunt. Yeah, yep, Shane's excellent, and he's got uh, – he has some really good instructional videos out there oh, too. On how to calling videos. Yeah. Really good. Very straightforward stuff. I mean, really good content. And I just love him because it's just really, really raw stuff. You know, he's self-filming a lot of these hunts, you know, so I don't know how he does it, but you'll sit there and you'll, you'll hear him call and see the footage and you'll see him like reach over and tweak the camera and move it to catch the gobbler coming in, you know, and you know, it has to cost him turkeys over the course of a season trying to self film like that, yeah, but like he's still GoPros all over the place. Yeah. 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 It's just, just pretty cool stuff. Yeah. No, Shane's great. I remember he did some stuff back for us in the day on the website doing, and we had a column called decision time in the magazine. And Shane did the online version of that, you know, where he'd filmed some stuff and did that. And it was really great content, really good. Yeah. And then all over all the years, all the, all our friends at Mossy Oak, all our friends at Realtree, uh, those Southern guys, they knew how to hunt. I mean, man, we could go for, I mean, Brian was a couple ones. You were on a trip with Michael Waddell when he was just a camera guy slugging around one of those big beta cams. And I was on a hunt with Pat Reeve when he was a taxidermist, like, I'm going to try to film my own turkey hunt. I mean, he was all excited. And I was actually there when he did his, but so many people that we met over the years. Lee Lakowski, yeah. Mr. Schmidt, I'd like to send you an article for consideration in deer and deer hunting. I mean, and you look at all these people, but the, the thing that I was always grateful for was this melting pot of people from, you know, Alabama, Mississippi, Florida, Texas, New York, Pennsylvania, you know, Wyoming, South Dakota, all over the place. And we got to learn from that, which yeah. is just invaluable. Yeah. Incredible. I mean, the deep South guys, of course, have been turkey hunting for years and years. I mean, they could teach you so much because it was all new to us. I mean, we got our first turkey tags in the nineties, basically, you know, and they'd been doing it all their lives. You know, they on hard shot to hunt turkeys too. Yeah. Yeah. They Not shot the stuff we had had never been hunted. Boom. I'm shooting a turkey. It's got like two inch spurs on it. Never yeah. seen a person before. Or, yep. Yep. Know. Sit down three yelps and a gunshot. Oh, by golly, that was great. You know, but, I'm an uh, expert. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you need any tips? Let me know. <laughs> yeah. No, those follow guys me are... for more. We didn't have social media back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Troy Ruiz, guys like that. Cause he was on and... Troy and remember that one in Texas? It was Tack Robinson and Troy, yeah. mm -hmm. and they were guiding me. It was I, we were in camp with Cuz, and we went out. Almost got bit by a rattlesnake on that trip, yeah. and uh, that's where I got this scar from shooting at a javelina. But it was uh, Tack and Troy called that turkey in for me. And the the funniest part of the, I should say the most memorable part of that hunt for me was it was really friggin' hot. And Troy is, remember those big beta cams that those guys, these guys have little cameras these days that they hold in their, 
while Troy is yeah. slugging around this camera. I'm like, oh, come on. It can't be that bad. And he hands it to me. I'm like, yeah, never mind. I don't want to carry this. It was like 60 pounds or something, yeah, something yeah, ungodly sure. like that. Yep. And they carried those around everywhere. I mean, yeah, Cuz did, Troy did, uh, Mark did back in the day carrying that stuff around. Stoltz, I remember him lugging those around filming, you know, <laughs> it's crazy. And then they went to like more the little camcorder style, which was better. And now, like you said, you're basically like filming with your phone and a GoPro and that and kind of They did it for stuff. deer hunting too, though. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's like, I don't know how they did it. Yep. Pat Reed, oh gosh. Yeah. He's lugged those things around forever, you know. <laughs> I digress. We'll have to save those stories for another episode because I'm going to make Brian come back. He doesn't even get to answer that question. I'll come back. Uh, I'll do it. Right, <laughs> we got thanks, some. Man, it's really good seeing you. I'll, I'll go back to texting you Family Guy clips and stuff like that. Right after we <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sounds good. We don't have too much to gripe about with the Brewers yet, but it's a long season. So. Oh, it's going to be fun. Oh. It's going to be yeah. fun. <laughs> yeah. All right, yeah, Brian. Thank you very much for joining us and. uh uh, you're working with Whitetail News. Are there other places where people can find some more things that you're working on right now? Yep. NWTF Turkey uh, Call Magazine. I'm the On the Hunt field editor, uh, Delta Waterfall. I do a column with them, Realtree.com, do waterfall content with them, and also write other turkey stuff for Game and Fish, Benelli, a lot of other folks. So, Very I'm cool. Out. Very <laughs> cool. Check them out. Brian Lovett. Instagram, Facebook, and wherever else, uh, like I said, the, the things he mentioned, uh, the big ones, NWTF, uh, uh, Whitetail Institute, well, he just mentioned them all, Delta, et cetera. Brian, my friend, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Dan. Always a pleasure. For Brian Lovett, I am Dan Schmidt. Please just like and subscribe. That's all we ask you to do wherever you're listening to this podcast or watching this podcast. And until next Thursday, we will catch you again for another episode of Deer Talk Now. Deer Talk Now is brought to you by 10 Point Crossbow Technologies. Whether I'm in a tree stand, ground blind, or spot and stalk hunting, I know the Nitro 505 is up to any challenge. Check one out at a dealer near you or log on to 10pointcrossbows.com for more information.